This is episode 26 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, you need space. Is data making us dumber? Grocery store on wheels. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan. We've had a little bit of a of a couple week gap. Just some crazy uh, crazy work stuff going on. A lot of busyness. Jose's been traveling. Um, I haven't, but doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we just been busy. So now we're back at it, and we're gonna keep pushing forward. It's good to be recording again, Jose. Yeah, Todd. Hi, everyone. Hi, Todd. So, Jose, bring us into the first topic. Let's not waste any time. Okay, so you need space. Let's talk a little bit about space. So too little attention is paid paid to space management, right, within the retail sphere, which uh, has a negative impact on the supply chain. So, so what's this about? Before we jump into it, let's frame it a little bit. So the national average in the U.S. of um, square feet of retail space per capita is 46 that's pretty high. So for every American, there's about 46 square feet of retail space. So by global standards, the U.S. has much more space devoted to retailing than anyone else. So for example, let's do a little comparison contrast. So there's 23 square feet per capita in the U.K. And in Canada, that's about 13 square feet per Canada. And if you look at Australia, it's 6.5 square feet per uh, capita. That's that's a pretty big uh, delta across the board. There are 1,221 malls in the U.S., so we've been over-expanding malls. Uh, Obviously, malls represent a portion um, of a retail space in the U.S., not all of it. So it's a... small percentage, less than 20%. Uh, However, they've grown exponentially from the 70s, Todd. I mean, it's been pretty, pretty um, crazy. There's been a lot of expansion. But right now, what we're seeing is, as we all know, we've been talking about on this show, and we can all read in the popular media, Mm -hmm. there is a bit of a recalibration of the industry. So the short of it is in the US, we need to um, not only reduce the retail space, but it has to be in sync with the way we're shopping as consumers. Right. So we've clearly gone way out of sync with that over the past. Maybe it became out of sync before we even knew it, right? So maybe there's a, there was probably a five to seven year lapse of time where uh, things were changing, yet the retailers, the malls, the, um, you know, the, uh, the organizations that that run the malls who also have a stake in this, right? Um, they didn't maybe see this in time and here we are, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, look, it, it's the incentives. You're right. Uh, they, they, they didn't. And I think that what's happening in our industry now um, just happened quickly. It was expected though, right? Because yeah. with the changing consumer habits, the way that 
consumers are buying digitally and physically, um, there it's very obvious now. Maybe when you're running your business, you're in your day to day, not so obvious. But the consumer changed uh, essentially, not overnight, gradually. And I don't think you're to your point. Retailers were paying as much attention as they should have. Oh yeah. Hence no store closings. Hence reducing uh, the selling space in an open store. Yeah, it's they've they've been forced to do that. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I mean, so so with that in mind, uh, essentially, the supply chain managers, store supervisors, and planners need to optimize the space right for for their particular markets. And they, they need to to make it um, more, let's say, viable for consumers to shop the way they'd like to shop nowadays, right? I think the days of, for example, this ties into um, there was a time when you'd want to sell many things uh, to your customers. But I think now retailers have to be much more focused and specialized in what they're selling within their they're given physical spaces. Yeah, agreed. And there's been some, yeah, the thing is, is there's, there's so many ways to look at this. I mean, I think when we first were thinking about how to talk about space for this episode and what does that mean and what are, what are we going to talk about here? Like there's, there's operational stuff we could talk about how to, you know, best, um, you know, fill your store shelves, how to think about where to put similar groupings of classes and categories and styles of products and what makes sense for people coming in the store. But I think it's almost we're missing the bigger picture with this is that, you know, I think there's one point you made at some point during that, um, during your your intro to this is that the way people have shopped are shopping has changed and the interests people have has changed too. Uh, thanks to our favorite demographic that we should just rename this podcast, the millennial podcast, because we're always talking about them because they're so unique. They they have a, a known tendency and um, a, a known enjoyment for the experience. Um, and they are also, generally speaking, pushing back on materialistic items. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, pick some random uh, late 20-something and, yeah, they don't want any, any, any fancy gadgets or any jewelry or things like that. That's not true. But the way that they're trending has been more towards... The experience themselves and um, some of the luxury retailers like Louis Vuitton, Saint Laurent, have fallen in terms of their um, in, ter- in terms of their their performance and stock prices over the past. Uh, I think this past year of you know, 70 percent to sixty percent to fifty five percent ranges um, between between them. Yet some of the more experiential, uh, you know, uh, businesses out there like hotels vacations, uh, that type of, that type of thing, the, you know, going out to eat restaurants, many of them are flourishing. There's been no dip in that at all. So there's this, there's also this higher level, I think, movement outside of going into stores just to buy stuff. And this brings us back to what retailers maybe need to do in their stores, use some of their space for the experience, but also to sell things, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Because to your point, look, if you're spending your money, uh, or a large proportion of your discretionary income on experiences, travel, restaurants. Think of a restaurant. They're probably going to go to a restaurant that has a nice ambiance, that feels great, the food's great. Um, and then contrast that with walking into a retail store that does not have that great experience. Right. It's kind of like, ugh, 
<laughs> it's big. You go in, you're kind of like lost in there. Uh, you really don't want to spend too much time in there. Um, it's not that user friendly. It's just like a box. That's not fun, right? So it, it, going back to your point by putting injecting the experience back into retail, maybe downsizing uh, that um, 46 uh, square feet per capita, that's a lot of space, uh, down to something more reasonable, adding more elements that make it feel much more uh, like the brand is supposed to feel, that would that would work, right? It works for everyone, I think. So I don't know about you. My first experience of, well, my first kind of retail experience, and this is considering all types of retail, not just, you know, clothing or tech, but I'm considering restaurants too. And my first uh, experience of having um, uh, a feeling like I got more of an experience than a purchase or more of like a materialistic item was going to a restaurant or, you know, in, the, in that case, you're buying food and drink. And this is going to sound like the silliest thing in the world, but 15 years ago or so when the Rainforest Cafe was the biggest thing ever. And I remember their, you know, when they went uh, with their stock and I remember their, they went public and all this stuff. It was a big deal because they were the big change in, re in, in, um, in the restaurant business of changing the way that you eat and experience eating. And, uh, you know, the way that the, the Rainforest Cafe works, like everyone probably knows, is, you know, you walk in and it's this jungle theme and there's tons of stuff happening around you all the time. It's like you're in Disney or something like that. It's really amazing. <laughs> it's highly overwhelming. And I got tired of it after, you know, after having kids and taking them there all the time. Um, and what's also interesting about this is that some of their restaurants have been closing lately. So maybe that's not what consumers want anymore or people that want to go out for a uh, an experience eating food wants, but that was my first experience with, with that, with an actual place you go to that you feel like you had more of a, of a, um, of an interaction with it than just a walk in and out type situation. So, sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and to, to, to that point, look, once you're used to that, you expect that across, um, the entire spectrum of experiences that you have, um, within your life, right? Um, you're not going to expect anything less. So right. that becomes that much easier to have a nicer experience from your home and shop from your couch, yep. right? Because it's just comfortable. Agreed. So where do they go from here? Like where do they, where do retail stores need to go, I guess is the question. So there's there's all this balancing of, of um, you know, for when you actually get someone in there, uh, when you have, you know, when you essentially they're, you look at them as fishing every day and once they actually get someone to walk in those doors, um, how do they make sure this is, this has got to be one of those problems for them that keep them up, uh, at night in terms of anyone that's responsible for this stuff and making sure that they have the right, you know, assortment, forecasting, the replenishment schedule, the store design, you know, that, that's a whole nother world of, okay, we've already covered that that the millennials have changed the way they buy. We've covered that. Yeah. People want the experience instead of, instead of maybe just walking in and out, unless you're going to a CVS or something. I don't know. Maybe that's not true either, but what are they going to do with this? How are they going to know what, what to change? It seems like they're going to have to do a lot of listening and watching and consuming of behavior and data and visuals and, you know, how people are walking through the store, all that stuff to really optimize this. Sure. No, for sure. Um, you're absolutely on target because ultimately, I think step one, 
recognizing that you have a problem, right? Once you recognize you have a problem as a any ex ex retailer, mm -hmm. then the next step is uh, as the CEO um, to tell your board, I got to close down some stores. At the same time, you need to have a plan. Once right you on. do that, uh, if you know you have too much retail space, what are you going to do with your existing store network in order to make it, to your point, um, give it that experience? Then that's where you need all of the other elements to kick in. Otherwise, it's just not going to work, right? It's just not like, oh, I got to close stores. We're going to continue the same game. Definitely not. You have to evolve with your customer. So it, it's a very hard thing to do because really what we're talking about, Todd, um, we're talking about uh, a transformation um, which involves an organizational change. Not easy. Not easy. Yeah, it's very, very true. Um, uh, you know, I was when you think about looking at some of the uh, the announcements from the past six months um, about store closings across different types of retailers and in those, every time they would come out with an announcement, I would always look for a signal as to what are they doing? Are they reinvesting? Um, what exactly are they going to change with their stores that are staying open? Uh, what's their plan, like you just said? So often, there's nothing in there that says they have a plan to do anything else. It's, you, it may be a very high-level visionary statement, but I feel like it would be, not to give away secrets for them, but it would be smarter of them to reinstill... Uh, trust and everything's okay kind of feeling we're not you know we're not tanking into the you know into the depths um we're just adjusting our strategy we're right-sizing our stores we're right-sizing our presence and changing the way that we you know we we sell to our consumer so you know what i mean unless i've missed maybe i haven't looked at all of them but have you seen the same and felt the same or have you felt yeah. different I felt the same, which yeah. is why, why I brought that point up with you, um, that I don't see something that talks about the experience. They say, yes, we have to, uh, to your point, at the high level, if you look at the 10Ks or any of the Q1, let's say, earnings call uh, notes that you could find out there, it says, yes, we have to make the experience better for our customer. But it, that's 33,000 feet. Okay, sure. Great. Agree. How? I don't see the how. Yeah. It's <laughs> so to your point. There is no plan, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Makes me sad. Makes me sad. I don't like that. I want to, you know, I don't want this to seem like it's, it's almost like it's, it's fake news, right? As, as our, as our presidential <laughs> friend likes to say, uh, it, it, it almost well, seems like they're not telling the full story. Right. Yeah. And I wish they would. Yeah. But I think, you know, it, what's happening is because it's an organizational change, uh, it's hard enough, I think. I think it's a step just in the right direction Agreed. Yeah. to say and actually close those stores. Look, I'm not saying that, that that's easy and that uh, people aren't going to suffer or companies aren't going to suffer. Yeah. It's a hard decision in the first place. But I think they're so caught up in that because that's hard enough. Um, because what does this mean? So if you think about the average tenure of a CEO, which is, let's say, on average four years, or so, and it obviously varies by company, there's a lot of other factors, but that's roughly the number. If that's the case, then you're thinking, ooh, how am I gonna make all of these changes across my remaining um, 300 stores, right, what we're saying, and uh, make it through to year four before I'm up for renewal? Yeah. Right? So. 
if the, if the incentive is that, and it took them so long to convince that board that, look, this is what we need to do is to go on a diet because we're just surviving. We're not even growing, right? And we're going to take a hit on revenue and everything else. And we have a lot of um, human power dedicated to the closing down, winding down, selling off fixtures, renegotiating or closing contracts, uh, subleasing, etc. Ooh, it's tough. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like we were saying, uh, perhaps um, using some of the newer technologies out there, these retailers could be able to understand how to use their space. And, you know, um, I think a lot of them are and they're wisening up about how they how they make these decisions on what stores to close and how to use their space. Um, But kind of this this brings us to the next topic, which is about data. And I mean, our podcast is pretty much about data and retail technologies and how it's being used or not used by retailers, right? So this this was a uh, another Retail Dive article, an opinion article, and we should really boldface the opinion side of it. Uh, <laughs> and this article really was interesting, and it's called The Credentialed or the Creative is Data Making Us Dumb. Um, sub, uh, subtitle is The Gut-Based Mentality of a Merchant Can Revive Retail's Relevance. So the the theory or the what they're what they're posturing in this article is that data has caused retailers maybe to lose their edge and that uh they're they're claiming that fashion and apparel um is being reduced to a spreadsheet or reduced to a database um there's so many ridiculous honestly claims in this i I can't even i can't even deal with this but because they are it's one extreme or the other, it seems, in this. And and I think part of what, what you and I are always talking about in in the podcast is that there's a happy medium. Um, the the gut-based mentality, the um, the years of experience type mentality of understanding the market, understanding fashion, understanding trends, um, the merchant prints, that concept has not gone away fully. It's being blended with data-driven decisions and this article what it's saying is that we've become too reliant on data and it actually can't get us where we need to go in a way i mean jose i'm sure you have a couple things to say about this yeah i i fully agree look i i think not with the article but uh, yep. with what you're saying it isn't interesting right because i think that the days of the merchant princes are, are over um it, that last ship sailed with mickey drexler as we all saw um, in Wall Street Journal, WWD, Business of Fashion, anything that we read, um, there's at least been one article by any major publication or most, not all, um, talking about what happened. And it's interesting. I, one, one thing that sticks in my mind is that he said we should have adopted some sort of analytics that was a little bit more sophisticated um, years ago rather than just going with our gut instinct, right? So I think that, to your point, you need both. It's uh, it's both the art and the science of being able to uh, do both things well, because given where we are today, right, the consumer actually has more at her or his disposal on her or his mobile phone in terms of information and data they're an actual merchant sometimes, right? And that, that's that's not a good thing, especially if everything is instinctual, 
right? Um, on your phone, things are could be instinctual, but you have things driving it when you go on a website. Yeah. If you're looking for price, silhouette, brand, um, and that's interesting, right? If you think of it that way. Um, in many ways, the consumer is a little bit more sophisticated than the actual company itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, there's another quote in there, um, which is actually makes a lot of sense. And it's a it's a good point. I just think he uh, kind of wrote it with the wrong, uh, I guess, the wrong surrounding angle. Um, he said the, the data on consumer behavior is available in specific industries is a sorry. The data on consumer behavior available in specific industries is available to almost everyone. Your competitor is likely trying to make sense out of the same piles of data. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But um, there's also unique data that each retailer has that their competitor does not have. So I think there's a misunderstanding there of type of data that's being used, which I think is the, the core kind of miss of this article where uh, the, the gentleman that wrote this just isn't thinking, I think, of the right types of data uh, that's being leveraged and also how it's being leveraged. Right. There's lots of ways how it could be leveraged. And, um, you know, through we've always we keep hearing about advanced analytics and machine learning and there's vendors um, popping up all the time that are using this data that maybe Heath, the author here, thinks is sort of useless or too common between retailers. But that is so not true. Uh, And it's it's very interesting that, you know, that he points that out and that data is more um in general, in general, something that's looked at historically rather than from a predictive nature, rather than from a future, a future nature. And that is way off, too, because, it, you know, I'm not sure, again, if this was written to get a rise out of some of us that believe in how data can help retailers, you know, but it seems like it's just way off. Yeah, so he's going too extreme. There. I mean, you can't live in the past. It's an evolution to your point, right? So, look, let's look at some of these, <laughs> some of these um Quotes. Here's a quote. Sometimes market research is like giving radar to a hunting dog. It makes him dumb. Hmm? What? <laughs> or, I, don't, I don't. Maybe uh, I'm maybe data, I'm slow this morning. It doesn't make any sense to me. But okay. Yeah. Or, or data can never predict what is next. Only what has been. Hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting, right? Because if you're thinking this way, you're not um, really you're not going to survive. I think maybe, maybe another way to look at this, and I'm not going to defend the article necessarily, is that there is something missing in terms of the merchant skills that are out there, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't be too reliant. I think what's happened is the pendulum has swung uh, for forgetting uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning. I think the pendulum has swung too much on the quant side Uh um, of the merchant process. So I think that the art, there's been a little bit that's lost. Um, and I think that that's probably what's underlying all of this. But it article doesn't really, that, that's the only thing I could think of in terms of trying to make a defensible argument. Yeah, Jose, so that makes that makes sense. And, and this is where it could end up. Um, I'm actually looking forward maybe a few years from now when data takes a bigger hold on how retailers make decisions across the board. Um, and... You could see some of those that have been around for a while saying, "Okay, we're we're losing our we're losing our edge a little bit, and how we're, maybe we're not using enough of our instinctual decision making skills that should that that have been maybe overused in previous years, yet uh, have been almost ignored in in future years, assuming their the balance is off 
that's one angle here. Sure, that I guess could happen, and, right? And I think to add to that, th- think of what actually is happening. I mean, to, if if we want to look at the current marketplace, there are very few stores that you'll walk into where you'll find product that is distinct from other retailers, unless it's their own let's say mono it's a mono brand retailer like j crew and even then it's not clear that it's the right product that's another question but let's just say differentiated many retailers do not have differentiated product right there's nothing special no one's taking a risk uh with something special so you i or anyone listening to this podcast will shop generally at places that pique our interest because they have something special to offer us and if that specialness however you want to define it in terms of a product is not there, we're just not going to shop. Yeah. Right? It's just kind of like, ah, uh, next, we'll vote for our wallets and move um, to some other retailer to purchase our products from. Yep. Agreed. So it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to iron itself out, but, um, you know, I think this was worth a mention. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, there's the, uh, the end, you know, the end all of this article is that there needs to be a balance in gut-based knowledge decisions um, when it comes to that compared to data-driven decisions and when that balance is in existence and there's a happy medium of uh, between the two then that's when we will be in that in that in that perfect world i think you know Um, but i guess he makes some decent points here of watch out kind of thing or we need to be careful not to put too much weight on the data side and lose our edge and sure let's let's move on (laughs) it's great uh yeah last topic we are going to talk about totally switching gears here we're gonna we're gonna jump across the ocean we're going traveling now we're we're hopping in our in our jet and our we have an invisible wonder woman jet Uh, jose because i just decided that we're (laughs) hopping in our invisible wonder woman jet um, I thought you were going to go there. Wonder Woman when you said we're going to jump in our jet, I was like, "Aha!" Uh-huh. Yeah, Wonder Woman jet. <laughs> uh, and we're we're traveling over to Shanghai, and we're in Shanghai, and we land, and we go into town, and I've never been, so I don't even know what to even how to even pretend here. Um, but then we look over and we see this 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 square looking thing with some nice smooth edges on it, and it has a few wheels in the bottom. Looks like a a futuristic food truck, and in reality, what this is, uh, this is a prototype in Shanghai only, of a grocery store on wheels. And uh, what it is, it's not just a grocery store, but it's essentially a self-serve grocery store. Uh, This is crazy stuff. I don't understand how it would exist here because I feel like it would get looted or something or people would break into it (laughs) and just start taking all... Maybe just because it's... it's, That's that's America for you sometimes. But uh, I guess we have to figure out exactly how this would work here um, but in Shanghai, they've got this 24-hour mobile convenience store. No staff, no registers. It's on wheels. Uh, eventually, it's supposed to drive by itself back to a warehouse to restock or to make a delivery. So it's that type of size, that type of technology here, which is kind of taking a bunch of angles on self-driving vehicles, um, you know, uh, the the way that we fulfill product to customers, deliver customers like a Peapod style for those that have a stop and shop near them of or an amazon grocery amazon whatever it's called to be able to actually send stuff to your to your uh to your customer this would drive right up you might go outside walk in pick out your stuff and then off it goes to the next person um, which is this is pretty crazy. cool actually yeah. right i mean if you think about it, it it's run by ai uh and it's called Moby, 
right? So how does it work to, to, to play on and riff on what you were saying in terms of um, this imaginary, uh, let's say, journey that we're going to take with Moby uh, in Shanghai. You download your app, you use your phone to open the door, and a hologram uh, like AI greets you. So when you shop, um, you place it in a smart basket that tracks your purchases, right? Then when you walk out the door, instead of waiting in line, the, the store automatically charges your card when you leave. And the shop will eventually stock fresh food and other daily supplies. And if you want something else, you could order it on your phone, which is pretty cool. Yep. So um, packages will be waiting for you when you return to shop the next time, which is pretty cool. And off, often this thing will move. So it could show up, as you said, on your home. And in addition, the company is also testing out drones that can make deliveries to your home. So if you don't want to carry anything, you could just have it delivered. Yeah. But so the drones would be probably attached to the vehicle. And so, yeah, yeah, on that's, top, that's fantastic. On top of the vehicle. I think I've said, I think I saw something like that before. That is, uh, I can't remember if it was Amazon that was experimenting with that type of concept of, uh, but this, and speaking of Amazon, this is similar to, uh, Amazon go, right? Their store grocery store that is self-service, no staff, no registers, and just detects what you're taking off the shelves and charges it to your Amazon account. And that's that. But this seems like that on steroids. Yeah. And then this goes, comes full circle, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, in our first segment, we talked about being, having too much space. This actually is the opposite. What happens when you're in densely populated areas where there may not be a mall or in another country, right? Where malls are necessarily, not necessarily part of, um, the cultural fabric of, of what the, the way people shop. Well, it's interesting because then in densely populated areas, this fits in perfectly. Absolutely. Right? And th this is a nice way of putting something in and consider a place where you may even have rents that are too, too expensive, right? To have to support a business that's a convenience store where you actually need something um, quickly and cheaply on a corner. Mm -hmm. Almost like a corner kiosk on steroids. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is exciting. I like this kind of stuff. I wish they would uh, prototype this here. Just throw it out there in all the all the suburbs of Boston and just we'll just watch as these. Oh, you know what? They should do this with ice cream trucks, right? Just make yeah. these these self-serve ice cream trucks. You know, gone is the driver. They can they can stop with the with the jingle that they play when they go around neighborhoods and it can anyway, I'm off off topic you, now. You don't like Mr. Softy? That's <laughs> fine. He's a nice guy. It's fine. Are you a, a Mr. Creepy, Softy hater? But he's nice. <laughs> Oh, that was cool. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think what we're going to see here is uh, we are we are going to see many years go by before we get anything like that here. Honestly, right? I, I mean, it seems like Amazon Go has had trouble in its own right getting that launched and out. Um, but uh, good on Shanghai for trying something like this. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, and one thing I forgot to mention <laughs> is they have solar panels, right, to ah, power the yeah. electric motor. Which is ultra cool. I really like that piece. That is cool. So, so then it would pretty much exist in in Arizona or Texas or something like that. It wouldn't survive in the Northeast very far, very long because we barely get any sun up here, at least outside of four, four months out of the year. So, and the Northwest. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, just around a few sunny states, I guess, Florida. 
Well, that's awesome. So we'll see what happens with that. Can't wait to follow up and hear what happens with our our, our Moby friends out there in, in Shanghai. And we wish them the best of luck. And um, we'd love to try one here. Maybe bring one out to Boston. Or New York. Or Chicago. Anywhere. We'll just go. go we'll go see it if we have to. We'll make a field trip, Jose. Yeah, yeah. Actually, right. I get a, something related to this, which is breaking news. Uh-oh. Uh, I think by the time we, we put this out, people will know about this. Amazon just bought Whole Foods. What? For 13.7 billion. Oh, what do you know? That's that is wow. All right, that is crazy. I did I didn't see that one coming at all. So there we go. Breaking news for those that are listening. <laughs> I gotta get this. I should get this up. This episode up pretty quickly then, right? So at least we have some commentary on it. But yeah, uh, no, that's this, cool. That's great. I love that. That's very, very interesting on Amazon's side. Because it ties directly to this. <clears throat> yeah. So they're um, maybe not the tech piece, but the convenience grocery store. Yeah. Maybe they want to leverage the infrastructure that Whole Foods already has in place, I'm guessing. So, which would make sense. That is very cool. All right. We're going to wrap it up on that breaking news note. And I, I bet you we're going to be talking about this in another episode a little bit more. But, um,. That is very interesting. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining. That is the show. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feedback at all, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most all your favorite podcast apps. And in the next episode or two, even, um, we're going to have a couple interviews come up. Um, Jose, do you remember who we have coming up for interviews uh, next? Absolutely. Uh, we will have uh, Paul Raffin. Uh, he was most recently the CEO of Fry, the oh, Fry cool. Boot Company. Right. In yes. addition, we will have Mark Cohen, who is the former CEO of many companies, uh, just like Paul Raffin. Um, but he led uh, Sears Canada, uh, Lazarus Stores. And currently, he is the director of retailing studies and adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. Awesome, awesome. So that, those are going to be fun. So we'll have those out in the next in the next several weeks, so everyone can look forward to those. Well, until next time, everyone, take care, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.